0: Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, for as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for another week that we can come to your house and open your word. Lord, I pray that you just give me the words to say, and that we will uh, hear what you have coming from your heart this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I was really excited when Brother Paul asked me to, to preach today, um, because today is a special Sunday in the in the life of church history, because Thursday, October 31st, is a special day of great importance in the history of the church. And like many people, I will be celebrating a holiday on Thursday, but the holiday I'm celebrating is not Halloween. Now, I don't really have anything against Halloween per se. You know, I like scary stories. I think it's fun when kids dress up and go get candy, and I like candy. For those of you who are wondering, it's Almond Joys, Hershey's with almonds, and Snickers, and and wash it down with a Coke Zero. (laughs) It worked for Brother Paul. But on October 31st each year, I celebrate a very different holiday. You see, 502 years ago, this Thursday, started the Protestant Reformation. Now, if you don't know what the Protestant Reformation is, essentially what happened is people rose up against false teachings that had started to come into the church. And they decided that they were going to follow Scripture, instead of what the church was falsely teaching. So I think it's important today, given what's going on in our culture, that we take a journey back into history this morning for a little bit. Because we need to have to happen today, in the greatest means possible, what happened back in 1517. You will see that without the events of the 16th century, we would still be living under the tyranny of the church of the time, trying to obtain our salvation by works. And we need a new Reformation today, because if history is forgotten, or worse, if history is ignored, it's bound to repeat itself. So we're going to be looking today at the life of a man named Martin Luther. Now, he's not the only figure of the Reformation, but he was the lightning rod, the catalyst for everything that was set in motion. But the most important thing that Martin Luther taught and brought to the forefront is exactly what the text we just read says, that the righteous shall live by faith. In other words, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you are declared righteous by God, that's how you get to heaven. It's not by anything that we do. There is no other way. Luther would, discover, would not discover this fact until he was 32 years old. He had joined a monastery just because he had been caught in a thunderstorm. He had been walking home from from the university and this thunderstorm started raging and a lightning bolt actually struck so close to him that it knocked him to his feet. And so he started praying and he said, I will do anything if you save me from this storm, I will become a monk. And that's exactly what he did. He left everything and became a monk. And I want to think about that for a second. First, it's not good to bargain with God. That's not how God works. But... He did make a vow to God that if he was saved from that storm, he would join the monastery. And he kept that vow. Now, how often do we have that kind of devotion? That we simply drop everything because of a promise we made to God. How often do we say to God when we're in trouble, Hey, God, if you just do this one thing, just this one thing, I will do this for you. If you do this for me, I will go to church more. If you do this for me, I'll read my Bible more. If you do this for me, I'll witness more. And how often do we actually keep those promises when God gives us what we want? You see, Luther, he was serious about what he said to God, and we can learn from that. And he kept this level of devotion when he entered the monastery. When he was in the monastery, remember, the church at the time, he was teaching a a works-based salvation. In other words, you had to do things in order to get to heaven. So Luther, he would actually beat himself because he wanted to beat the sin out of his flesh. He would torture himself. He would spend relentless hours and hours in praying and fasting and night watches. He would regularly stand up all night in cold rooms freezing himself because he thought this is what he had to do to get to heaven, to be righteous in the sight of God. They would regularly find him exhausted in his room on the ground, almost dead because of the torture that he would do. Another part of life in the monastery was regular confession. And other monks, they would go to confession and prayer for 5, 10, 15 minutes. Not Luther. Luther would go for six hours. Six hours confessing everything that he could possibly think of that he had done. And when he would leave the confession, he would then be in fear again because he would think of something he had forgotten. It was, it was so bad a to the people he was confessing to, that they came and told him, look, do not come back into this confessional until you have something worth telling us. But think about this a man spending hours in prayer and confession. Sometimes I have trouble praying for 10 minutes. What would it be like if we were serious enough about our sin that we confessed everything to God for hours? What would it be like if we prayed for hours? After all, Paul does say in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing. Church, how different things would it be if we took that to heart? Do you have that kind of devotion to God? I'll be honest, i fall well short in that category. Luther had a fear of God. And it wasn't, it wasn't really a holy fear. He was literally fearful of God. Because remember he was believing that he had to do works to be saved. But he actually hated God because of this before he was saved. Why did he hate God? Because he understood that God demands righteousness. And Luther realized that Romans 3:23 says all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and Romans 3:10 says there is nobody that is righteous. So Luther rightly understood hey, there is nothing that we can do to attain the level of righteousness that God requires. And so he hated God for it. How could a God who is supposedly righteous and just require something of man that we can't actually do? Because there's no such thing as a good person without Christ. They do not exist. There is nothing you can say, there is nothing you can do in this lifetime to be righteous without Christ. Without Christ, we are desperately lost in our sin. Without Christ, we have no hope of salvation. And we can never attain that righteousness without Him. But Luther hadn't discovered this yet. Because it was this works-based salvation that the church was teaching. This merit-based righteousness that caused Luther to continue to hate God. You see, the church ignored Titus 3.5. It says, it's not by works of righteousness that we have done. It's according to His mercy that He saved us. Luther was immersed completely in the teachings of the church at the time. But something changed. Something changed. In 1515, Luther was now teaching at a university. He was a professor of the Bible, taught theology, and he was studying the book of Romans, particularly the passage that we are reading today. And when he gets to Romans 1.17, and it says, "...for the righteous live by faith." Suddenly, he realized something. This is not saying that we have to somehow attain this righteousness. It's saying that we live by faith. The righteous live by faith. Faith in Christ, in Christ alone, is what makes us righteous. So at once, it clicked for Luther. We don't have to do all these works. He didn't have to torture his body. He didn't have to pay for his salvation. He had to trust Christ. After all, he understood now what Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says. It says, by grace are ye saved through faith, not of works. And so he finally realized we don't have to be perfect. We can't be perfect. We don't have to work off our sins because when we place our faith in Christ, we are declared righteous by God. Justification comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Well, this changed everything. And like it changed everything for Luther, when we realize that we're a sinner and we can only be saved by grace through faith, it changes everything. The scales come off of our eyes and we see life in an entirely new way. We see that we are no longer under sin, we are uh, freed by grace through the gift of Christ. No longer bound to the devil, we are finally free. So now that Luther knew that we are made righteous, not by our works, but by faith, he started to speak out. He started to speak out against the teachings of the church that taught this works-based righteousness. And he did this despite the fact that if he continued to do this, the church could arrest him. And the church could put him on trial. And if they found him guilty, they would kill him he didn't care. Once Luther realized the gospel, he followed what we read in verse 16 today. He was not ashamed of the gospel. Well, the church, they had had enough of Luther. So they did bring him to trial in 1521 in a city called Worms, Germany. And they asked him two questions at this trial. This wasn't open for debate. They asked him two questions. The first question was this. They had a table before him with all of his writings laid out, and they said, Martin Luther... Are these writings yours that are spread before you? So he picked them up and looked at them and said, Yes, these are my writings. So they come at him with a second question. Will you take back what you have written in these books and announce that it is an error? And Luther thinks for a minute, he says, Well, what specific errors in these books would you have me take back? But they weren't having any of that. They said, no, you're a professor of theology. You know what your errors are. And so Luther says, I need you to give me more time. Give me time to think it over. So they grant him 24 hours. And so Luther goes back to his room, and he's praying. He prays all night, and I want to point that out too. When we have a big decision, whether it's a decision that has to do with our faith, whether it's a decision that has to do with our jobs, our families, where we're going to live, prayer is the key. Luther prayed all night, and he asked God a specific question, and he also asked himself this very same question. He said, "'Am I the only person who is wise?' Am I more wise than the church? Am I more wise than the councils of the church? Or am I relying on my own wisdom? How often do we see this today too? Sometimes we have to stand up not only against our culture, but we have to stand up against churches who no longer follow scripture. That's something our denominations fighting right now? We saw it back in February, we're going to see it again this coming May with regarding LGBT. Are we alone wise is sometimes what we think if we're the ones who are following Scripture. Do we really know more than the church? And Luther, his answer was this. He's not being compelled by his own wisdom. He's being compelled by the Word of God. He's doing standing up against the church because of what the Bible says and not what he thinks. So he returns to the trial the next day. And they already answered the first question, so they asked him the second question again. Martin Luther, will you take back what you have written? But he was smart. He answered, he said, I can't possibly take back everything that I have written, for my writings are of different kinds. In these writings over here, I write things that are accepted by the church. Would you have me take those back? But yes, in these over here, I do attack the church and the councils of the church, for they are in error. And they say, will you not just give us a simple answer? We didn't ask you for explanation. We didn't ask you for debate. We want a simple yes or no answer. And Martin Luther says this, you want a simple answer? Well, here it is. Unless I am convinced by the Bible and not by the reason of the church, I must stay with what Scripture says. Because of conscience, it is not right or safe to go against conscience. So I will not, I cannot take back a single word of what I have written. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. What a testimony. Could you imagine if we were all to take a stand like that for the truth of God's word, despite the fact knowing that if we took that stand, we could be killed for it? To not bow down to the powers that be? And here's a sobering thought. We need that stand today. We need that stand today. We need it in the church today. I want to share some statistics with you that quite frankly terrify me. This was from a survey completed by Lifeway Research last year. 52% of evangelicals and 76% of people in mainline denominations. Now, what is a mainline denomination? Those are going to be the four top denominations uh, in the United States, of which our United Methodist Church is the biggest. 76% of people in mainline denominations believe everyone sins a little, but that most people are good in nature. Even though we read this morning in Romans 3.10, there is nobody that is good. There is nobody that is righteous. 51% of evangelicals and 81% of mainline churchgoers believe that God accepts all forms of worship, including that of Islam and Judaism. Despite the fact that John 14.6 says, No man comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. 81%. That number staggering. 56% of evangelicals and 79% of mainline disagree that even the smallest sin is worthy of eternal damnation. And the list goes on and on and on. You see, culture, beliefs, and some churches are no longer following Scripture. Everything is now put on tradition, experience, and human reasoning. That's not how we're supposed to arrive at our opinions. We're to filter everything through the lens of Scripture and Scripture alone. It's not supposed to be the other way around. The world tells us, and even some churches tell us, hey, you're supposed to filter Scripture through science. No, it's supposed to be the other way around. We need to filter science through Scripture. They say you have to filter, you have to harmonize Scripture with the way people feel. No! We have to harmonize and set aside our feelings with what Scripture says. We have to look at what Scripture says. We have lost the truth of the gospel. And the sad truth is, the church as a whole has set aside and watched it happen on the sidelines. I was absolutely heartbroken this week to hear the story of little James Younger in Texas. James is a seven-year-old boy. And his mom and dad, they're divorced, and they're fighting in court right now. His mom is fighting to get all custody removed from his dad. And do you know why? Do you know why she wants custody removed? Because his dad refuses to allow them to transition him to a girl. And you know what? She won in court with a jury. Now, thankfully, a judge has reversed that decision for now. But it's absolute madness, the culture that we live in today. A seven-year-old boy, they want to change him with chemicals. And the question is, how do we even get to this point? Well, I'll tell you how we get to this point. Christians do not live with the boldness of Martin Luther. We don't live with the boldness of Stephen in Acts 7, the first person killed for the church. We don't live with the boldness of Daniel who prayed despite he knew he was going to be thrown into a den of lions. We don't, pr- we don't live with the boldness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before they were tossed in the fiery furnace because they refused to bow down. Amen. We just sit by and watch. This shouldn't surprise us. The rest of the chapter after our first two verses this morning, it says this. It says, starting in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Don't we see a lot of that today? For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. What does that mean? It means there's no such thing as an atheist. Because they know there's a God just by looking at creation. The Bible says so. Everyone believes in God. They just choose to deny Him. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And what is that lie? We see all sorts of them. We have the lies that James can somehow become a girl. We have a lie that it's okay for men to marry men and women to marry women. We have the lie that it's okay to kill an unborn child. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And for this reason, in verse 26, it says, "...God gave them up to dishonorable passions." And if you skip down to verse 28, it says, "...since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of all kinds of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do these things, but they give approval to them. Does that not describe the United States right now? They know these things are wrong. And they know because of these things, they deserve to die. But they don't just do them, they give approval to them, they endorse them, they encourage them, they command them. Of course, Paul told us this is exactly what would happen. This is no surprise to God. It shouldn't be a surprise to us either. But, church, we need reformation today. We need to take back biblical truths and infuse it into our culture. We need to say, here we stand. We're not going to do anything else. We need to go forth with the boldness of the many faithful men that I just mentioned. And the boldness of pastors today. Do you know in China this morning, there are pastors and preachers preaching just like I'm preaching to you right now. But they will not get to finish their sermon. You know why? Because they're going to be arrested in the middle of their sermon. And they're going to be whisked off to prison, where they're going to be tortured for the name of Jesus Christ. How fortunate are we? How fortunate are we? This past May, I graduated from Liberty University. Our commencement speaker was the Vice President, Mike Pence. And he said some chilling words that I would like to read to you. He said, But graduates, my message to all of you derives of the moment that we are living in today. You know that throughout most of American history, it's been pretty easy to call yourself a Christian. It didn't even occur to people that you might be shunned or ridiculed for defending the teachings of the Bible. But things are different now. Some of the loudest voices for tolerance today have little tolerance for traditional Christian beliefs. So as you go about your daily life, be ready. Because you're going to be asked not just to tolerate the things that violate our faith. You're going to be asked to endorse them. You're going to be asked to bow down to the idols of the popular culture. So you need to prepare your minds for action, men and women. You need to show that we can love God and love our neighbor at the same time through words and deed. But you need to be prepared to meet opposition. The Vice President of the United States said that. These words should sober all of us. The, the days of easygoing Christianity, they're done. They're over. It's no longer accepted by our culture to be a biblical Christian. Even churches are starting to bow down to the agendas of the world. So it's time to take a stand, church. I have two things for us to take away from today. First is this. There is nothing that we can do to become righteous before God. Nothing. We must put our faith in Christ and Christ alone. It is Jesus who makes us righteous by His sacrifice on the cross. And if you are here today, and you think that somehow you are going to heaven because you are a good person, or because you go to church, or because your parents are good people, or because you live in a good community, I've got news for you. None of those things get you to heaven. It's Christ and Christ alone. So I urge you to think about everything we've talked about today, everything we've read about today, and turn your life over to Christ because you were saved by grace through faith, not yourself. You need to turn your life over to Christ this morning. For the rest of us, for those who've already been saved, I have a different challenge for us. We need a new reformation, we need a new change. We need to make a heroic stand for the truth of the gospel. It's no longer time to keep sitting on the sidelines. That time's done. We need to stand boldly before the throne of God so when we arrive in the arms of our Savior, He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Are you going to take that stand today? In just a moment, we're going to sing. The altar's going to be open. Brother Paul and I will both be up here to pray and talk with you if you need it. If you don't know Christ this morning, or if you think you know Christ, but you haven't truly turned your life over to him, you come this morning. And if you're tired of sitting on the sidelines and you're ready to make a stand, you come and talk to God about that this morning too.